Welcome to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. On this podcast, we journey through the devastating experience of the death of a child. Grief is seldom discussed openly in our culture, and the death of a child makes people feel even more uncomfortable. We approach the topic openly and honestly, speaking to people who have lost loved ones and experts who help care for them. Whether you are a parent experiencing loss or someone who wants to support another going through this tragedy, this podcast strives to offer hope and help. Welcome to episode 36 of Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. I'm Marcy Larson, Andy's mom. I'm so excited today to share with you my friend Megan. For regular listeners to the show, you will recognize Megan's name as Willow's mom. I talk about Megan because her daughter Willow died just two days before Andy, and we started attending the same Starlight Support Group about three weeks after our children's deaths. Megan and Willow have taught me a lot over the last 21 months, a lot about love, about family, and about friendship. I feel so honored that she has allowed me to share their story. I hope you enjoy. Thank you so much, Megan, for agreeing to be on the show today. I have been looking forward to talking to you on the show for a long, long time. Oh, thanks for having me, Marcy. (laughs) Yeah, so I'm going to have you start out just by telling us about Willow. Well, there's a lot to say about Willow. Willow was the kindest, sweetest, most patient little girl that I think anybody has ever met. Willow, which I know we'll get into later, was nonverbal, but she could speak volumes without having to say a word. And she made people laugh and she would make people cry. And she just had such a big personality. And yeah, she's, she was just such a light uh, in our lives. And we miss all those things about her very much. So It's so funny because I've known you now for over a year and a half. And I feel almost like I know Willow. Oh, that's so And I never met Willow because we didn't meet until, you know, Andy and Willow both died within two days of each other. And we met about three weeks later or so, I think, when we went to our first Starlight Support Group. Yeah. But I feel like I know Willow. Right. And I think you probably feel like you know Andy. I do. I think about Andy all the time. And I think of him when it's, you know, things, music and other things. It's, it's interesting. I I do. I feel like I know Andy and, Mm -hmm. and I, and it, and then that's saying something about a parent, like you saying that you feel like, you know, Willow. And I hope that's, you know, us keeping them alive, you know? Yeah. So Mm -hmm. it's pretty special. And Megan, it's always been so special, you and I, just because we are on this journey. I feel like you and I are on the journey together, right? right? Because it started really within a couple of days of each other. We didn't know, right? Because we're both going through our own um, such difficult times. It's funny because we actually have a mutual friend who is praying for both of our families at the same time. And um, we didn't even know until... (laughs) Actually, I think months later, yeah. when I became Facebook friends with you and said, how do you know Kristen? <laughs> yeah, I know. It's such a small world. Mm-hmm. Crazy. <laughs> S- 
so why don't you talk about Willow and just her life and her diagnosis and your story a little bit? Okay. So it's, it's Willow's story is so big and, and it's um, quite a journey. Willow um, is a twin. She um, and her sister were born March 29th and they were both big, beautiful, you know, twins. Those days after they were born were those busy days that every mom has you know, the sleepless nights and all the things, but they were um, healthy and everything was going really well. So I had no idea what our journey would turn into. Around four months old, uh, the girls both had colds and I kept calling um, their pediatrician asking why Willa wasn't coughing out loud. I was concerned with the way that she was breathing, um, a lot of belly breathing and things like that. They kept saying, she's okay, everything's okay, until one day she wasn't okay. My husband was golfing, and I called him home, and I said, Willow doesn't seem okay. I think we have to go to the emergency room. He came home from golf. He, we still were like, I don't know. I think she's okay, but let's go get it checked out. So we went to the hospital, and by the time we had walked to the front desk, and the, the nurse that was uh, checking people in saw Willow's face, she immediately code. And again, it's a little bit of a blur. You know what, what the mm-hmm. words were actually were said. I remember her just saying code something. And I've never seen more doctors and nurses move so fast in my life. And I was young and I, I didn't know what this all meant. I remember them putting her in a hospital room, cutting her out of her car seat, cutting her out of her little onesie at, you know, four and a half months old. And it was a blur, but I know that my life changed completely that day. We were then sent to Holland Voss, where I had done some research, actually, when she wasn't feeling well. I'd done a Google search, right, which you shouldn't do, and I had found a genetic condition called SMA, mm-hmm. and I thought to myself, wow, this, this reminds me a lot of Willow. She would do a lot of the things, her legs would frog legs, her tongue would quiver, There were a few things that Willow would do that were on the list of symptoms, and I was concerned. So I remember when we got transferred to DeVos that day, I remember them bringing us into a room on a normal floor and the neurologist coming in and I was begging and pleading, please tell me it's not SMA, because I knew what I'd read from it, that it was a scary genetic condition. And I knew that they had put timelines on a lot of these children and I didn't know any, I didn't know enough about it. So I was scared. Willow's condition kept getting worse. Her lungs both collapsed. She wasn't able to take her bottles anymore. It was just such a a confusing time for a young mom who had another twin at home. We navigated this. It took, they did tell me that they should do blood work and let's look into this further. By that point, Willow was so sick that we were up in the PICU and we were told that that she probably wouldn't make it. I remember them calling the priest from the chapel into her room and she was laying on her belly because they were trying to get her lungs to open back up. And Mm -hmm. so putting and you know, but you know, putting them in a different position such as that would open up the lungs and give her more room to breathe. And I thought that was when I was going to say goodbye to Willow, but God had other plans. 
Willow is a fighter and she ended up, you know, coming back from that. She, her pneumonia cleared. And the day before we were discharged, our doctor who we had been working with up in the PICU came to our door, said we got the results from the blood test and Willow has spinal muscular atrophy type one. Immediately following that, another neurologist came in with a packet, a huge packet of information. And I remember her looking me in the eyes and said, the life expectancy is two years old. Willow is almost one. You probably don't have much time with her. So I can just tell you, go home and enjoy your life. Don't go to the grocery store with her. Don't take her to church. Don't let her around other children who might be sick. Stay home, be safe, and just protect her. So we did that to our best ability. But Willow kept getting sick. And we were in the hospital. We were in and out of the hospital so many times until we got to a point where she had been intubated. The amount of times that you're kind of allowed to be intubated before you have to make hard choices. So she was intubated and they said, we will extubate her, but we will not re-intubate. So we can either intubate and do a tracheostomy or we will extubate and, and you will have to make some tough decisions if she cannot, you know. So we made the decision to do a tracheostomy Prior to that, though, which I missed was we did a G2 because she was no longer eating. So at this point, Willow had had a G tube. She now was going to be rolled back for a tracheostomy. That was the best choice we made for Willow. That was something that opened her world so big. So Willow, um, yes. although it was a hard choice, a lot of these choices were incredibly hard. She then was sent home many weeks later because after a tracheostomy, you have classes and lessons and things you need to learn. But when we were sent home, we lived life and we decided not to be scared anymore. So Willow did all the things that children her age would do to the best of her ability. So she would play outside, she'd go on boat rides, <laughs> she would um, do all the things. And we lived that way and it was beautiful for at least you know, three years, I would say it was, we weren't in the hospital much. It was, it was just such a wonderful time. But then Willow started getting sick again. She was getting older. Her body was tired. And there was a new drug that came out called Spinraza, which was a hope. We had a hope that this was going to be an answer for Willow. We had waited so long for hope because all we heard was that she wasn't going to make it to her next year of life so every year we were so thankful and the hope of this drug was just a miracle willow ended up in that time though her lungs were getting squeezed by her um, her spine was actually pushing into her lungs and so during that before that drug could be given we actually had to do rods in her back and then after the rods were placed, we couldn't give the drug because it needed to be given through her spine. But we had placed the rods so that she could breathe. So now we had to make 
another choice on how to do this and give this drug that we had waited so long for. We had a neurologist who said we should do it directly through her brain actually. So Willow went through another surgery where, and now I forget all the terminology, so forgive me, but basically a port was placed on the top of her head and she was, she was able to be given this spinraza drug directly into her spinal fluid through the top of her spine and down her back. Wow. Um, that was something that we were excited for, for Willow. Unfortunately, as the weeks went on, the months, there wasn't much of a difference in her. You know, she was being put through a lot and she wasn't getting what we were hoping she would get. She was getting sick a lot as she got older. She was constantly fighting, but you could tell she was tired. She still, you know, did the best she could every day. And so I don't like to tell the end. Mm -hmm of the story as if she wasn't doing well because she was because she was mm-hmm. she was incredibly strong but the day came in august where her heart stopped and i walked in on her lifeless body but john was able my husband was able to bring her back to us um we went back to the hospital again and after 48 hours I knew, though, at that time that she wasn't acting like herself. And 48 hours after doing so many tests, the doctors told us that that although her body was there, she wasn't there anymore. And I remember you saying that you could tell that because just looking in her eyes, it just wasn't the same. She wouldn't look at me. It was like she was looking through us. And you know your child. Mm -hmm. And she... She just, she wasn't there and we had to make more decisions. And I just remember looking back on her life and everything that she had conquered and been through. And I was just, even to this day, I'm just so proud of her and who she is. But saying goodbye was the hardest thing that I've ever had to do. Making those choices. Yeah. No parent should have to do. No. And. No. You are right. Yeah, I just held her until she was no longer with us and and then still held her until, until I had to put her down. And that was the last time I held her. Just a long journey of so many ups and downs. And I like to remember the ups as much as I can, but not forget where she had been Mm -hmm. because those are important parts of her puzzle in her life as well. Well, and she lived far longer than anyone had ever would have ever guessed. Yeah, it's unbelievable. I mean, a lot of the doctors that we worked with were so impressed with how strong she was, you know, for being a child with little to no muscle tone. That just proves that you can be strong on the inside, and and she was. Yeah, and. 
I feel too that, you know, what a blessing her twin sister was to her all of that time. Yeah. Because I think she seemed to let Rowan do the things that she couldn't do. And she lived life through Rowan too. She did. She did. They were so close and Rowan would always say, Willow doesn't like that or Willow doesn't want that or Willow likes that a lot. And Rowan seemed to have a voice that none of us could understand. And their bond was, and still is, Rowan talks about her, you know, as if she can still feel things through, you know, through Willow, even though she's not here with us. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So their bond is unbreakable. Yeah. So anyway, I just had always thought that was kind of a cool thing um, that all that Willow had to go through, which would be so challenging for any kid to have to go through, but uh, just to have Rowan to be able to do some stuff for her and be her voice for her and be her legs for her yeah, was just really, really neat. It was so beautiful to watch. Willow was, I was told Willow would never attend school. And if she did, she shouldn't because there's germs at schools. Mm -hmm. But my husband and I made the choice that school is important for her. It was important for her to have friends and in relationships outside of, you know, just the house. She went to school and there, she was in kindergarten and she was star student. And Rowan was in a different class. I had made a decision to separate them in school due to the fact that Willow had a nurse at school. Mm-hmm. And our nurse that went with her was almost like family. And Rowan was a little too comfortable <laughs> with that. And I didn't want that to get a little tricky. So I actually separated them. But Willow was star student. And she had to do a book and explain all about her and all those things. And she couldn't do that since she was unable to talk or move her hands or feet. So Rowan volunteered to sit in on the class and help her read her story. So Rowan went in there and talked as if she was Willow and told the kids, my favorite color is pink. I like to be outside. I like, and she did it not as a kid to get attention, but to do it for her sister. Mm -hmm. It was so sincere and just so pure of heart for a child at that age to want to be there for her sister and make sure that her sister was heard and seen and that people knew who she was for who she was. Mm -hmm. So I'll never forget that. No, what a special time. I know. I hadn't heard that story. So that's a fun one for me. I know. (laughs) So do you want to talk about those, that first maybe days and weeks afterwards, kind of what that was like? and After Willow's passing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a, it was a confusing time, to mm-hmm. say the least. I think that it was, it was like a dream, not a good dream, no. but a dark dream where nothing made sense. And it was an out-of-body experience. I can tell you, though, looking back now, that time, the support was so high. And I 
feel like as time goes on, you get less of that. Yeah. And I, not that I, I missed that time, but there was something kind of special about the, just the deep, sincere support that was given during that time. The loss was heavy, but it was, it's so different now because mm -hmm. it feels like, you know, it happened. And then I felt like there's no way this just happened. Mm -hmm. And, and it's a weird how your body almost protects you from it. So you don't, you feel it, but in a different way. Yeah. And it's almost too hard to explain that. So I'm probably not doing a great job at that, but it's just like that. There aren't even words to explain it. Yeah. I think that's a perfect explanation. I think our bodies just want to protect us. And yeah. uh, it, it just seems like it just can't be real. And that's the only way you can handle it is if it's not real. Because if I had to live the realness and the everything at every moment, it was too much. Right. You know? Exactly. Yeah. What got you to Starlight so early? Because we both ended up at Starlight super early. I know. And people were so surprised that we yes. were there. I remember <laughs> being like looking around thinking, am I not supposed to? <laughs> I know. They went around the room and we were amongst the last. You went yeah. right before us. Right. And everybody was like a year, year and a half, two years out, five years out. But like, I not nearly as fresh as you and I. And I was thinking the same thing, like, clearly we are not supposed to be here. <laughs> and then you went right before us and I was like, okay, they're exactly where we are. We are not alone. We are not alone. <laughs> I don't exactly recall who gave us the pamphlet, but mm -hmm. I remember getting a pamphlet and I remember being very concerned for Rowan. I remember being concerned for her not knowing how to feel her feelings because she was six, almost seven. And that's already a confusing time. So I remember someone saying, you should go to Starlight. They have a group for children and Rowan can share her feelings and not feel alone. Mm -hmm. And at that instance, it wasn't really about me or my husband or it was about Rowan. Mm -hmm. And we went and, and yeah, then it became about all of us. But I was so grateful that Rowan had met friends in there. Yeah. You know, that made her feel less alone. And I remember her coming home and being like, Mom, there was a kid who also lost someone and you know, and it just, not that she was excited, but she felt less alone in it. Yes. And yeah, so that's what brought us there and kept us coming, even though it was hard to go because the weeks were, it was work. It was hard. It was work. hard. It was hard. I think that too. I mean, the first week we went, we all went, we all mm -hmm. went to our different rooms and we came out and um, I think the only one who really enjoyed it and got a lot out of it was my husband, Eric did. Yeah. Because I, I wanted to bolt. 
Yeah. I, I was in the middle listening to all the people go around the room and I thought, and all the whole thought that kept going through my mind was, this isn't happening to me. He's not, he's fine. He's at home. Yeah. He's fine. This isn't happening. You don't belong here. You don't belong with these people. Right. You know, I just, yeah, it just didn't. And I just wanted to run. And what's funny is I think the week two or three, I did bolt out the room once. <laughs> I think you did. And I think we all looked at each other. Like we just want to go hug Marcy wherever she is. Yes. I just bolted in the middle. I mean, I did come back eventually, but you did. But yeah. But, um, it's, it's funny that you end up. So I remember talking to both my kids to Catherine and Peter and cause they were not happy <laughs> either. And I no. said, you're going back because your dad liked it and your dad liked it. So we are going back. But, you know, eventually I think we kind of all found our place. Um, yeah. Peter, maybe not as much. Peter, it was tougher. Um, right. Middle school age, I think is hard. And the only other kids his age who had lost a sibling were Stephanie's, you know, three yeah, of the girls, quads, or right. girl, those girls. And that was too much for Peter. Too much. <laughs> and too much the rest of them did. had like lost their father or something. And right. so he just felt like he couldn't relate. And also everyone was many years out. And of course we were just, you know, so two, three weeks out. It was so fresh. Right. So that it was a challenge for him. Um, Absolutely. But then he had soccer during that time. So I could like just let him not go and, right. and so go then to that soccer practice out. instead. So that, uh -huh. that worked out well. But yeah. it did end up being super helpful for Catherine down the road. Um, and then, and we all did. I mean, and I think our group, I, I feel like God placed us in the group that yes. we needed to be in at that time. Yes. You, because I, I can't believe, I mean, I'm still talking to many those yeah. group members, you know, to this day, obviously. Yeah. So, well, right. <laughs> and I think about too, when we had that game night at your house, Oh yeah, game night at Megan's house. And <laughs> it was only bereaved parents. And you would think that would be totally not a game night that I'd want to go to. Anybody else would have ran so fast. <laughs> I know. It <laughs> was from us. <laughs> but we had a great time. It was so fun. fun. I think that's the misconception. Bring up our kids and have not anyone felt like that was weird at all. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we had a blast. It was super fun. It was so fun and it was safe. And I feel like there's something to be said for being around safe. Not that, you know, yeah. I don't know how to say that nicely or, you know, but people who've been through it. So it just feels like if you say something, that's okay. Right. Or if something weird makes you cry, that's okay. Yep. Exactly because... right. Because when you're with other people, I feel like there, there are a couple of things. I, I think the other people feel weird and out of place because they don't feel like they can act totally normal with you. Right. Like they're going to say something. So they're watching their words. They're not trying to say anything to get you upset. They're just being careful. Right. So that's hard. And then it's also hard being the bereaved person because you feel like if I act totally normal and I'm laughing and whatever, then they're going to think I'm fine and yeah. I'm not fine. And I don't no. want them to think that I'm just fine and I'm totally over it. And it's, 
it doesn't matter that Andy's gone now. Right. So then there's that part too. But with you guys, I knew you would all know that if I was laughing, didn't mean I was totally fine. Right. Absolutely. I know. I get that. Yeah. And if I was, and I also wasn't afraid to start to cry if I would have had to, which I didn't, but it was, it was just that I didn't have to be afraid to not do it because you'd all seen me cry. Right. Goodness, you'd all seen me bolt out of the room. <laughs> right. We've seen, we've seen all the feelings. Right. And that's okay. That's good to have diverse feelings. Mm-hmm. And it was neat for me to go to your home too. Yeah. And see your space and where Willow was yeah. and that beautiful picture, that that the painting. The painting. I oh know. my word. You need I, to explain that painting. And then yeah. I need you to give me a picture of it too. So I can I do. It. Absolutely. <laughs> I know. I after Willow passed, I had received a gift and it was a painting, hand painted. Um portrait of willow with her arms open in a field with a willow tree um, in front of her. It was a picture of her back and it showed her long, beautiful. She had the most beautiful, thick, it was almost reddish gold. It was beautiful. So this picture just showed the hair and the sun was, um, was shining through the tree. And I received that picture and I just sobbed and I remember thinking this is so perfect for Willow you didn't try to do the face or try to you know bring her back you just almost brought the essence of Willow into a photo and yeah. to me that felt so special so it's hanging in our kitchen and every day when the sun is rising because it rises on that side of the house there's just the most beautiful glow on it and every single day I look at it and I smile because it's so beautiful. And I think of her in heaven and how joyful and free she is now. So, And I think the outstretched arms is such a beautiful picture too, because it was something that she couldn't do. Right. Yeah. You know? But to, and then, and that was just the only kind of subtlety of, what she would be able to do right? right i mean she was in a field but you just saw the back of her which looked just like her yeah absolutely <laughs> with the outstretched arms it that was something that you would you can imagine she could do now i know but couldn't do then. right i know i did i think i didn't i didn't touch on that enough of how she was in the wheelchair and wasn't able to move you know not even her hand you know or anything on her own. So the picture of her being able to do those things and having um, the ability to move her body, her perfectly, you know, new body in heaven is so beautiful for John and I, when we yeah. think of how much we miss her, just having like a little piece of thinking of how free and happy she is with her new body is really powerful for us. Mm -hmm. I love that. We've gotten closer to get together and at times when I feel like I can't get together with other friends. Yeah. Unfortunately, these last two months have been so difficult in a way. 
Yeah. I still miss being able to going over to your house and eating Panera. I know. Well, come over once this is over. Once this COVID is over. I, I used to feel like I keep saying that. When this You're is over. You're very good at the social, um, social distancing, though. You had that down. You know, though, to be honest, this has been a trigger for me. I'm sure. Way, because I lived a very, you know, and, and I want to stay home, stay safe. I, I lived that for six and a half years. I mean, I made a choice to go out and live with Willow and not be scared at home. But yeah, this is bringing back so many of those memories of looking out the window and watching the world from, from inside. And I was always looking on the outside and, but now I'm on the inside and I don't have Willow. And so it feels so wrong. Yeah. And I find myself when Willow was here, I'm actually sitting in Willow's room right now talking to you, but when she was here, my house felt very safe because this was where we had a basically a PICU in her bedroom, you know, suction machine, vent, extra vent, oxygen, concentrator, all the things. But now that she's not here, I don't, I don't want to be inside. She made me feel safe and I didn't mind being home. I didn't look at it the way I look at it now. Now being home during this order, it feels just so different and it's much harder and more emotional because I don't have Willow with me right. to go through it. Yeah, I think with you being home originally, that was just part of your identity, right? You were yep. her mom, her caregiver, her nurse, her everything yep. when you were there. So to have to be kind of stuck there, it's just a constant reminder that you're not those things now. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and then you're trying to be a, you know, a teacher for your other girls at home. Trying. <laughs> That's not at all the same role in the same. Very different. And even uh, the, the small, as small as the, you know, going out in a mask. Now I go, you know, you go to the grocery store, you wear a mask. And to me, that was so much more than it's more than maybe what people would consider an annoyance or something. To me, it's, it's a memory because we did wear masks so often with Willow to protect her or others if she was the one who had the illness and so yeah it's definitely trudging up some some feelings that we're kind of having to work through right now and you and i have talked a lot about anxiety in the past and anxieties that we've both struggled with and right. different triggers i know we both had problems just hearing sirens and things like that just bringing things back yeah it's anxiety is a hard thing when you know the worst can happen. Yes. Because why was I was always told growing up because I've I've had anxiety since I was very small was that anxiety is what your mind is telling you could happen but it's not going to. I remember people telling me don't be worried about you know this or that because it's just your brain tricking you. You know, you're worrying about something that won't happen. Once you get older and the things that you know, you would never ever imagine could happen, happen. Your anxiety is so much more real and you can't get away from it because it is 
you know, it can happen. So right. nobody can tell you different. And that's a hard way to have to live with anxiety because it's a personal journey every day. And cause you've lived it and you've lived the worst. Right. right? Yep. Yeah, I, I know you talked about when you were in Florida several months ago now, yeah. and you had, do you want to, could you share that story? Would that be okay? Yeah, I'm trying to, it, it's, a, it's funny too with grief, right? Memory loss. I don't know yeah. if you have this as much. Oh, absolutely. But I'm like, how am I forgetting <laughs> so many things? So yeah, that was in the fall. We were in Florida. I was with my husband's family and they had rented a little car. I, it almost looked like a little go-kart and him in my, in Rowan Willow's twin were riding in it on a street. It was a private street and it was small though. And I said, as long as you stay on the street, I'm okay with it. Again, I deal with anxiety. I worry about my kids every hour of every day because I, I don't want anything bad to happen to them. <laughs> so I'm very aware and protective. I had gone inside for a second and John can make choices as well. I mean, we pair it together. So, but he, he decided to go on, like, it was almost like a strip, you know, like a main strip and he was driving the car and so I couldn't see them. And that's where I, my anxiety comes in. It's really not that I'm worried that something bad could happen. I just like to see, you know, mm -hmm. and I couldn't see them and I heard sirens and immediately my brain goes to something bad has just happened. And so I, my heart starts racing and I grab Elm, my youngest, I put her on my hip and I just start walking and we walk and walk and walk and I can't find them. I can just hear the sirens. And I had just tears running down my face because I can't, my brain still doesn't know how to just go from this is fun and, not, and it's okay because chances are those sirens were not you because sirens have been going off every day around that time because it's Florida and there's a busy street over you know and yeah you never know it's probably near the fire station or something exactly there has to be something over there so it's not like but my brain couldn't process that and I cried for a long time that day even though I knew they were okay they had come right home they didn't understand why I was crying and I I had to work through that, but sirens bring back a lot of memories. Every time I heard sirens, it was because I had called 911 and a siren appeared at my mm -hmm. house for my child. And so I, I just couldn't work through that. And, and to this day, I feel like if I hear sirens, you know, they're back in that place, my brain goes to. Well, what struck me when you told that was that the rest of the extended family still just didn't get it and didn't get how you were so bothered by it and couldn't understand that. Yeah. As much as they love you. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No. And, and I think that's the thing though, in this journey is it doesn't matter kind of who's walked it with yeah. you or who has been in it. It's, it's kind of such a personal experience and you can't make people feel the same way that you feel. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes that gets to be a little tricky in relationships. I think when I want to feel something and I want you to feel it the same way I feel it. And 
I can't make people feel the way I feel. I can't make them feel more or make them feel less. And so that's something that I have to work through a lot in my relationships. That is a challenge, I think, with moving forward and having relationships with people. When you have these different kind of experiences and you feel like you can't be understood exactly. Right. And I don't know exactly like maybe you have this as well, but I am still in, I mean, this is so fresh for us, Yeah. not even two years. Right. And I do feel like I'm still trying to figure out who I am without Willow. So it's complicated when other people are involved as well, trying to figure out myself and others and sorting through my feelings. She was so much of your identity. Yeah. Just being her caregiver. Right. And I think that for me, I was, I almost didn't have a name. Most people knew me as Willow's mom. Mm -hmm. And I had a lot of respect from doctors and nurses in the medical field due to the fact that I was in the hospital, but had learned so much mm -hmm. along the way and could do so much at home for her. Mm -hmm. And I just, yeah, it was such a huge part of my life. It, she was everything. It was, I didn't sleep at night because if we didn't have night nurses, which we never did because nobody wanted to work at night, I was up with her all night. It, she was my life always. And yeah, it's definitely a different, a different Megan now than I was. And that's painful process to work through. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think to try to find your new identity is really a challenge. I think one thing that's incredibly difficult is when people say, do, do you work? Do you work outside the home? And then I say, no. And they say, oh, you're lucky. You know, you're lucky, but they don't know that I used to I was basically a full-time pick you, pick your nurse nurse at home, you know, yeah. and then, and, and then I'm not angry with them. It just breaks my heart. Cause I wish I was still right. The same person that I was, you know, two years ago. I, so it's, yeah, it's just, it's, it's a journey. I was thinking too about the, the triggers, the things that trigger you and it's so unexpected what things can just pop up and trigger you. You know, you talked about the sirens being a big trigger for you. And it ended up that that kind of ended up being a trigger for me, which is so weird because I don't have any recollection of there being any sirens at the accident. Oh, really? The first thing I remember is I, all the fire trucks were there, all the ambulances were there. You know, I think, I think we counted with that accident report, I think there ended up being like six or eight ambulances there. So it was oh, like wow. an number and at least two fire trucks. I was in one of them with Peter, but for the life of me, I can't remember hearing a siren. Even when I was in the ambulance going to the hospital, which I know they were going, yeah. I don't remember it, but it's funny. I, when I've talked to my therapist about it, yeah. because if I hear a siren, if I'm traveling or something, driving yeah. down the road and I hear a siren, I immediately get extremely anxious and extremely upset. Mm -hmm. And it puts me there. And my therapist has said, 
it's because your body remembers. That's so mind doesn't remember, but your body does. Mm -hmm. And so even it's anyway, it's just kind of a crazy thing with the mind and the body, what you can sort of remember and not really remember and what can trigger emotions, even when you really don't know why. Yeah. Um, So anyway, it just kind of brought that to mind. Yeah. You just don't know. Just, there's just things come out of nowhere and you have no idea. You have no idea. I know it. And it's, it's kind of, it's hard to be out sometimes in the world too. Cause when you get triggered and you're oh, scared yeah. to, cause if pe- people don't know you, you know, when you just look right. kind of wild, cause you're there like crying or you're upset and they don't understand. Yeah. Yeah. I had a challenge this last week at the office. Um, I saw some sisters that I've taken care of since they were born and they're teenagers now and they were fighting and they were fighting the whole time in the checkup Mm -hmm. and they had been talking about how all they've been doing is fighting at home Mm -hmm. during the quarantine and I like got so emotional I almost lost it because I kept thinking to myself what would Peter give yeah. to be in this quarantine with his brother. Right. And I finally, I couldn't handle it because they were just bickering, 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 would not stop. And I said, you've got to remember, you you know, you are always going to be sisters. There are the, there are the only two in that family. And I said, and you just don't know what could happen. Yeah. And then I get teared up. The mom's looking at me like, I'm sure thinking she's going to lose it. (laughs) I don't know that the girls, it hit them at all, but you know, I kept, I kept going with a checkup, but I couldn't, it was just really hard, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Those are things that are so hard that it's, it's impossible. Nope. That for anybody to understand it. Yeah. Unless you lived it because I feel that way with Rowan, you know, if I see twins or things like that and they don't get along or, you know, whatever it may be. And I think, oh, if I, I would give anything to give Rowan her, her twin sister back. And then I have to catch myself and remember that it's not their fault that they don't understand and I have to be patient. And that's something that is really hard to do. Yeah. It's just tough. It's really hard. I, I don't know if we've talked since this, but I had talked to someone. Actually, now I've heard it too from different people saying that it's hard to be friends with me because they don't know how to talk about their lives without it feeling, because that what I went through, the importance mm-hmm. of that, couldn't compare to a shallow or not as important situation, if that makes sense. And these people have said it in different ways, but it's kind of come back to the same thing that it's hard to be with people such as you and I who have grieved and are grieving every single day. Yeah. And it's hard for them to understand that. And it's hard for them to say, well, today was kind of hard because I stained my favorite jeans because they think we don't care enough about those situations. Mm -hmm. And yet we do care 
about all the situations and we aren't going to compare grief to a stain or whatever situation is going on in their life that may seem not as prevalent or as important as the loss of a child. And so I'm struggling a bit with that, how to find relationships that feel equal. Yeah. Not from my end, because I want to give what I can, but I want to be given it as well, because I'm open to those feelings. If that makes sense. Yeah. That they still need to be genuine. Yeah. Because I feel like that's what you lose in some of those friendships is yeah. their ability to just be genuine and open and honest and say whatever's coming to their mind. Yes. I just feel like people think they need to be careful. Yeah. And then I get a little uncomfortable because when some, when you, they feel like they have to be careful, then I feel like I want to be careful and I, right. it's hard. And then it just ends up being not a natural kind of relationship anymore. Right. And that's why our relationship and our relationship with the other ladies who we've been in contact with, who are, who are all, we're all grieving. Mm-hmm. We don't have to, we all can just be honest about that. And so that's like very refreshing. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I, I'm thankful for that. And I really do believe like God knew that I needed all of you, you know, especially during that time and so early on in the grieving process. Yeah. I'm thankful for it. And you? Oh, I'm very thankful for it. I'm thankful for all of these new friendships that I've gotten. And yeah, because you're right, when things get bad, and when you're feeling so down, it's hard to know who to turn to. Mm -hmm. And it's easier to turn to someone like you, really, who kind of who gets it and understands. Yeah, I know. It's easier to be sad with you, but it's easier to be happy with you too. I know. I know. The highest highs and the low lows and everything in between. Yeah. Yeah. So So I do urge listeners, if you can try to find a support group or in a little book club that we do a book for grieving that are grieving women. And it's not an actual support group. We just, it's more of a book club, but it's nice. Or even a game night, right? It's just that socializing with other people who understand where you are, where you've been and where you're going. Yeah. Um, It's just makes things easier. Which has been helpful for you and I, I think be talking to people who have been in it for more years than we have. Yes. Scary at times because I remember people saying, just wait for year two, uh, know. you know, you have no idea. And yet knowing that they've been through it and now they're where they are is it makes you feel empowered, you know, to, that you can do it as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I don't know if it struck you, but early on, I've mentioned this on the show before. One of the facilitators said that it took her nine years to feel normal. Yeah. And that hit me so hard. And I felt like I cannot feel like it with this for nine years. I know. Please do not tell me I'm going to feel like this for nine years. Yeah. And it's funny, as time has gone on, that statement doesn't seem so scary. But at the time, whew, it terrified me. <laughs> scary. And I remember too, I just, I will never forget how many people in the group would, were in year three or four saying, because yeah. we were so emotional 
in a very sad, wet sense in the beginning. Yep. And I thought, I don't think I could, sh I could cry one more tear. Like, I don't think I could cry more tears in the next year than I do now. I'll never not be crying. I remember being scared of, of that, you know, yeah. and, and it is hard the second right. year. The loss is different for sure. It's much harder in a different sense. Yeah. I think there's a lot of wisdom in a lot of But those. it is scary being in that group early on with people three, five years out yeah. that are still crying a lot because it's, you just think I can't do this for that long. I yeah. can't like, I know you did. <laughs> I mean, I can yeah. look to, I can think of certain people in my head. I know yeah. you've lived three years like this, but me, I can't, yeah. I'm just not going to make it. Right. No. And then you do, you just keep going. And keep all of a sudden you're at the point where, you know, somebody else was a little while ago. Right. And if you see someone who's 10, 15, 20 years out who are still crying and you think that's still okay too. And that's, right. so it's okay if I, cause I mean, you and I have talked before where people will say, oh, it's been over a year. Like, why are you still so upset? You know? And so you kind of start to get a little confused and in your head about who and what, and you know, what's not yeah, okay. And what's not okay. Yeah. Because yeah. society likes to tell you what's not okay. Mm -hmm. And what, you know, so it's, it just feels really nice to see all the different stages and types. Yeah. It's different now. I mean, now we're, we're both over a year and a half yeah. and Virtually no one says anything to me anymore, right? Yeah, I mean, right. I, I see patients at the office a lot. I mean, some of them obviously don't even know, yeah. but a lot of them do know. And no one would even dare say a word to me about it, yeah. almost. I think I've got one that would, Yeah. Who, who actually has suffered quite a few losses herself, so right. she feels comfortable doing that. But for the most part, people are like, oh, well, goodness, I don't want to talk about that. Yeah. I don't want to get her upset. Right. I, I know. But yeah, it's, it's funny, actually, because I, um, when I'm seeing patients now, I will, the ones that I don't know, so ones that have kids that are less than a year and a half, you know, yeah. that weren't even around. Yeah. They have no idea what I've gone through. And I will say things about my boys or yeah. say something about uh, Andy, you know, I don't use his name, but oh, my son did that, or just to be kind of reassuring. Yeah. And um, it's kind of nice to be able to do that because then I, they all, of course, assume he's still alive. Yeah. No one has ever, because yeah. they don't ask you any more than that. They just no. feel reassured that, yeah. you know, my son, when his little brother was born, he did that or something. Yeah. So it's kind of a nice thing. Mm -hmm to feel like in those cases, I can still talk about him. If it's a patient that I know, I feel like I can't bring him up because then they're just gonna think it's weird that I'm talking about my dead son, you know? <laughs> it's a double-edged sword, you know? It is, it and is. Because I, with some people, like if I'm at the store and I'm buying a bunch of girly stuff and the person, you know, just mindlessly checking me out is like, oh, girls. And I'm always like, oh yeah, three. And then they're always like, oh wow, your poor husband. And then I'm always like, oh, he loves it. And then, you know, it goes on. And I love to claim Willow in right. that. And I don't right. have to go forward. I don't have to get into it. But yet there are times where I'll meet people and they don't know about Willow. And 
it's a closer relationship. I mean, not close, but maybe a parent at school or something. And then right. I'm like, I need you to know more, but I don't want to overwhelm you. And it's hard because you don't want to just be, there's some, Willow will always be a part of my family. And so when I think that someone just sees that it's, you know, me and John and Rowan and Elm, I want to jump in there and be like, and Willow. And I, but then I, I don't want to scare people off either with, here we go. Cause here's the story of, right. you know, my daughter who. It's the, it's the, I can't talk to you about my dead son. Yeah. I can't talk to you about my dead daughter. And yet I want That's to. That's just weird. But yet I, I really want to. I know. Cause she still is everything and she's my family. And, and now I'm hitting this, you know, the, my kids at their ages have a lot of assignments at school where it's tell me about my family, you know, mm-hmm. draw a picture of the family. And I will forever tell them to, you know, if they, they will include Willow. I mean, they, they, they say it on their own without me prompting it, but it's just always going to be that, you know, it's a tug yeah. at the heart when all the, when those kind of assignments come up, because yes, to our family, it's just no questions asked that Willow would be included in these things. But for some family members or teachers who don't know us, it's confusing because mm-hmm. she's not there. And yeah, yeah. It's, it can get a little tricky. Mm-hmm. And yeah, she's always, always, always in my heart. So yes, she is. Always with us. Always with us. I know. Thanks so much for talking to me today. Thank you so much, Marcy. It was so good to talk to you. Thanks for listening to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. Please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player. We are always looking for new show ideas. If you'd like to be a guest, know someone who'd be a great guest, or have a show idea, please email us at marcy at andysmom.com. Be sure to visit the webpage, andysmom.com, for more content, including Marcy's blog. There you can also sign up to receive updates via email. Together, let's work to inspire hope, one day at a time.